And good morning. Good to see you all again. Sometimes you forget, wow, oh, that's right, you go to Calvary Church. And uh, it's nice to be seen as well. So thank you for coming. We're glad to have you here, patio uh, in Fellowship Hall, and all you wonderful folks sitting at home drinking your coffee on your cushy couch, probably still in your pajamas. That's okay. We don't see you. So we're just glad that you're part of the worship experience that we have here today. This morning, it's my opportunity to be talking about generous giving. And I know that we're living in a time, COVID and, and uh, joblessness, hunting for that job, uh, income has been cut back, and here's old preacher boy up here telling me that I'm supposed to give more money. Uh, I want to be very clear that uh, in the scriptures, there's three ways that we give. We give by our time, as we invest time in things, our talent, those things that we do, the gifts that we bring, the ways to serve. We got folks that are working with students and children's ministries, the nursery. Uh, they give their talent there. But there's also then the third way of treasure. And this morning, why don't we talk about the, the treasure that God has entrusted to us. And uh, my goal is not to make anybody feel guilty, to bring shame, to somehow feel less than adequate before the Lord. But I'm going to just be very clear and just outline specifically what God says about these things so that we are walking where God wants us to walk in respect to the stewardship that each of us has. And so uh, that's my task. There's an outline that's available for you. It's online, and you're going to find it a much more beneficial time together as you would spend time in that because I have some specific questions I encourage you to kind of consider and to think through because each of us has to determine where we're at in respect to this. We're going to use one of the, Paul's great passages in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Chapters, chapters 8 and 9 are all about giving. He's talking to a group of Corinthians, the people that live in Corinth. This church, candidly, was not known for its maturity. Uh, there was lots of divisions. There was carnality. There was immorality that was not being properly addressed. So Paul's coming along to help them to, to walk the walk that would be honoring to the Lord. And finally, he comes to this area in chapters 8 and 9 about giving. And one of the things that he begins to talk about is the priority of giving. The priority is in the very first verse, it talks about a ministry to the saints. But even before the priority of where my money should go, let me talk about the priority that God has given to all of us, that if we don't begin here with this priority for us, then everything else that I have to say is going to be meaningless. It's going to feel like a kind of a guilt trip and just sort of forcing me to do something I really want to do. And so you go back to chapter 8, which is really chapters 8 and 9 should be one chapter. But notice in chapter 8, when Paul introduces the whole topic of giving, this is where he begins. This is where you and I have to begin if we're going to be stewards of God's entrusted care. For I testify about the the Macedonians who are exemplary in their giving. So he's using them as an example to the Corinthians as to how you should give. So he's talking about these Macedonians. For I testify that according to their ability, beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us. I've never had anybody beg me, please, can I give more? But that's what they did begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this support is outlined as he continues on in terms of giving, giving to the uh, people in Jerusalem who were needy, the believers in Jerusalem. And this, not as we'd expected, but here is the thing, and a highlight in the yellow, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They first gave themselves to the Lord. And I'm telling you, if you don't, first of all, I don't, first of all, give myself to the Lord, 
everything else I'm going to say is meaningless. I would say, just turn me off. Don't listen. Don't practice this. I don't want some sort of legalistic way of gaining favor and somehow God will be pleased with me and he, oh, how he needs me and he needs my money. He doesn't. All God wants is just to begin in this place of beginning to give myself to the Lord and then out of that, out of that position of submission and surrenders, we just sang about, I surrender all. I surrender my heart, my life, my body, my home, my car, my bank account, my job. I surrender it all to you, Lord. I want you to take ownership of this because I don't have this except for you. And I want everything that I have and everything that I am to be under your leadership and in submission to you and your mighty hand, a blessing upon my life. So that's the beginning point. And so I just want to make sure that we're all on that same page. So as Paul then begins to express what this giving is, I've got four key points that I want us to make. And it's, first of all, the priority of where my giving should go. In the very first verse of chapter 9, he says, for it's superfluous for me to say this to you, to give to the ministry of the saints. Who are the saints? I referenced it. There's a group of believers in Jerusalem at this time who, when they surrendered to the Messiah as Jesus Christ, they were kicked out of their homes. They were isolated from the uh, whatever economic structure system was going on in that time, uh, and they had nothing. So Paul is appealing to believers all around this community, saying, we need for you to contribute to help these people. They have nothing. There's no Social Security. There's no welfare program. They have no means to be able to live. So we're going to contribute. We're going to give. So the Macedonians gave. They first gave themselves, and then they begged to give more. And now he's come to the Corinthians, and we want you to give. We want you to give to the ministry of these saints. And very simply, I believe that what God is giving to us is not just an example of 2,000 years ago, but it's giving to us a priority. That I, as a believer in Jesus, a follower of Christ, I give to the saints. That's the first thing. There's lots of demands. There's politicians that want our money. Sometimes it grieves my heart when I see that uh, uh, followers of Jesus contribute huge sums of money, maybe in their estate, to organizations or secular organizations that that have no allegiance to biblical Christianity, biblical worldview. And it grieves my heart when I see millions of dollars that goes to organizations and people groups that are probably good, but have no allegiance or submission to biblical Christianity. And that's our first point of giving. Now, I want to be clear. We can give to other things, but my first priority is to the local church and ministries that are pouring out their hearts for the cause of Jesus Christ. So the gospel of Christ is a centerpiece of who they are. That's what the Tweeties do. That's what our missionaries do. That's where we give. But it doesn't mean we can't give elsewhere. I, I, uh, a little point of confession for you. Uh, I'm teaching a little class on Wednesday nights. Some of you might have seen some of them. I'm going through some of the Old Testament prophets like Joel, and, and this last week was Amos. And uh, it's going to be Obadiah. I'm thinking, how many of us Say, you know, I'd, I'd like to learn more about Obadiah. Well, I encourage you to get involved in that because I'm looking at it through a little bit different lens. And so this last week I'm teaching on Amos. Now, Amos, if you don't realize this, Amos is a guy who's preaching against the nation of Israel, the ten northern tribes. What's his complaint? His complaint is, he says to these people, you're very wealthy. They were very wealthy at that time. In fact, he even says, you know, you got your summer home and you got your winter home. They got two homes. And, uh, and so they got all this wealth. And yet we have all these poor people 
who are being neglected by you. He says, it's to your shame that you're not caring. You're exploiting the poor people. You're selling them into slavery to be able to pay their debt. You're treating them like they're just a pair of sandals, he says. So this is what I taught. That that was the emphasis of teaching that, that we need to do more for those who are in need. So right after that, as I left here after recording that, and uh, you can watch it on this Wednesday night. Oh, by the way, it, usually it's about 7 o'clock, and there's an outline available for you. So I encourage you to check it out. Cheap plug. As I left here, I drove to CVS Pharmacy. So I had to pick up something inside. So as I walked to the door, there's a man looking homeless to me for all intents and purposes, and he says, could you help a brother out? And what did I do? After teaching about Amos and how we need to care for those who are in need, I said, no, not now, and I walked inside. And I was 10 feet inside CVS, 10 feet inside, and the Holy Spirit says, Dave, you idiot. That's sometimes the way he talks to me, because that gets my attention. Don't you remember what you just spent 30 minutes talking about, that Amos was lambasting the wealthy people for not giving to the poor people. And man, was I convicted. So I went in there, made my purchase, and I said, can you break this for me? Because I had some large bills, and I'm not that generous. And so, uh, but as I left, as I left that pharmacy, there's the guy still sitting there. I went over there and gave him a nice little gift to help him out. He says, thanks so much. God bless you, he says. But it's that kind of a thing. That simply because the priority is to give to the ministry of the saints, it doesn't mean you neglect everybody else until I can find out, have you ever made a commitment? I didn't ask him, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Because I only give to followers of Jesus Christ. No, you just give out a generosity. That's why I love this quote. This quote also, I found this afterwards, convicted me as well. Here's Clement of Alexandria, one of the early church fathers. He says this, it is better to take the risk of giving to the undeserving than to take the risk of neglecting the deserving. And so I love that emphasis, that priority. They can never, you can almost never go wrong by being too gracious, but how easy it is to be too selfish. And that is not a place where we want to live. So the priority is that first of all, I've given myself to the Lord, and then out of all that he gives to me, I give to the ministry of the saints as my first priority, not to the neglect of everything else that's out there that has a need. Then secondly, what he wants us to know is there is a practice. There's a way by which we should be giving. And it's not at the last minute, somebody makes a big appeal, shows you a picture of a poor kid, and that kid won't eat unless you give. No, we're not into that. What I want us to have is a practice that is a disciplinary practice of proper godly stewardship. And this particular passage here in verses 2 through 5 really helps to outline it. And so let me read through it. Here's 2 Corinthians chapter 9 again. He says, so that I was, as I was saying, you may be prepared. He wants us to prepare. He doesn't want to come at the last minute and appeal to them. He says, I want you to be prepared. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you So there's these brothers, Titus and others, who went on ahead and helped them be ready so that uh, they could arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. So let me break that down a little bit more as he goes into verse 7 as well. He says, and each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me break that down into four bite-sized little 
practices of how we should give. It's how I give, it's how Joy and I give. It's what I believe Scripture teaches us to give. We want to be part of what God calls us to do in this whole matter of stewardship. So giving should be arranged beforehand. It's not a last minute where I reach into my wallet and find, well, I got a $100 bill, I got a $50 bill, I got a $20 bill, I got a $5 bill. Lord, which one should I drop in today? No, that's not biblical stewardship. Biblical stewardship is where I arrange beforehand so that I am ready when the time comes. He says in verse 2, for I know your readiness. I know your readiness. Let me give you a little of Greek teaching here. Greek just adds a little bit of color to the text. He says in verse 2, I know your readiness. The word ready is made up of two words. It means forward mind, to be forward thinking. He says to be ready is to think forwardly, to think ahead of time so that I I'm given the opportunity to give. I have this readiness to me, and I start contributing towards that. It's arranged prior to the offering being passed. It's arranged prior to the request that goes before me. It's something that I have arranged between the Lord and myself. Secondly, giving should be based upon a previously promised bountiful gift. That's what he said in verse 5. And sometimes we think, well, previously promised, we should, we should make a commitment. In fact, I think, I think at the beginning of every year, January, we should say, Lord, this is the amount that I'm going to give to the ministry of the saints. And so, Lord, I'm going to go by faith that you're going to provide that for me. That would be a wonderful step of faith and let God bless, let God provide. So that's a previously promised, but he says bountiful gift. Sometimes we think bountiful, well, my goodness, bountiful, what is that, 100,000, is it 10,000? You know, my $100, my $50, my $10, that's not bountiful. I feel ashamed that my giving is so small. God says, no, that's not what I mean. A previously promised bountiful gift is this. This word bountiful does not mean huge, sort of bigger than anybody else, it simply is this Greek word, eulogia. We get the English word eulogy from it. E-U means good, logia means word or logos, uh, to speak, to speak good. In a eulogy, we speak good things about the past person. And so my giving should be those words of praise to God. When it's a properly arranged, previously promised gift, my gift, whatever size it is, we're not talking about size here today, whatever the amount is, it's something that says good things about God. So he wants us to be saying good things. It's, a, it's an act of praise. It's an act of worship and adoration to God. So I arranged beforehand a previously promised praise gift to God so that it's given by each believer, as he says in verse 5, each believer with a good attitude behind it. Now, here's a couple of bad attitudes that we're not interested in. If this is your attitude, we don't want your money, please. Arrange yourself before the Lord. He says, not covetous. And again, here's a bunch of Greek. If you don't like Greek, you can ignore this. But I love the color that it adds. Covetous is play on and echo, more to have, to have more. A covetous heart is where I don't want to give because I want to have more. By giving this to the Lord, I will have less. That's a covetous heart. So I hold back from giving more 
because I want to have more and I don't want to entrust it to God. But not only that, but he says, I don't want you to be grudging or I don't want you to do it under compulsion. Compulsion is somebody forcing you to just do something. We don't manipulate here emotionally. We don't sort of harangue people. We don't hit you over the head and shame you if you don't give. No, that's not what God calls us to do. We don't want anybody, I don't want anyone to feel as a result of anything we say here or any other time that you have been compulsed to give. Because when you have a heart like the Macedonians where they first gave themselves to the Lord and they begged us with more participation to the giving of the saints, he says, that's the rich spot. That's the sweet spot with God where I don't feel forced except what the Holy Spirit puts on my heart. I say, God, what a joy it is to sing praises to your name with my bountiful gift of eulogy to you of saying good words to you. And not only that, not grudgingly. We don't want anybody. Grudgingly is a, is a Greek word, lupe, which means to grieve. It's used of mourning over someone who has died. We, we don't want giving that comes out of a heart that feels like every time I give something to the Lord, it feels like a death in me, that I'm losing something that is rightfully mine. We don't want that either. So Paul says, I want you to give with a good attitude. Not covetous, holding back, not grudging, mourning over the loss of his funds, or feeling like somebody's forcing you to do something you're not ready to do. I, I've heard over my many years of ministry, a lot of people say, the reason I don't go to the church because all they want is my money. No, all God wants is your life. And when that is arranged properly, there's no struggle in this motivation or attitude of giving. So it's to be done with a proper attitude, and then it's to be done cheerfully. I love this word for cheerful. It's hilarious. It's a hilarity time. You know, I've said, I've preached on some of these things, and every time we should drop something in the offering, we should go, Yahoo! Because that's what he's talking about. Did I wake anybody up? That's what he's talking about. It's with hilarity. God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want a grudging giver, a compulsed giver, or a covetous giver. He wants a giver that really has that sweet spot. And a good example of that I was reading, one of my professors was Gordon McDonald. He had a wonderful ministry back in Boston, uh, Grace Chapel, and his, then after that did some teaching around, and I had him for a few classes. And, and uh, he tells a story about when he and his wife, Gail, uh, went to West Africa and were attending a worship service in one of these African churches of West Africa. As he was walking in, he was intrigued by the fact that there was, there was one person who was bringing a basket of yams. There was another person who was bringing a basket of eggs. Someone else was bringing some chickens into the worship center, such as it was in that African church. He went, what are these people bringing all their produce into this church? What are they going to do with it there? And then as they went through the worship service, they came to the time of giving. And everybody, they gathered their yams and their eggs and their chickens and all the other stuff that they brought in. And they started singing and they started dancing and they started clapping. And it was the hilarity that I think Paul was referring to here. And everybody could see what everybody else was giving. There was no secrecy to how much anybody was giving because they didn't care. They saw this giving as an act of worship before God. All they wanted to know is that, God, I want you to see what I'm giving because I'm here for you. I'm not here for impressing anybody else. So they bring, and there's a dance party that brings all these produce items to the front of the church and leaves it there so that it could be then distributed to those who have need, to the poor, to those who are hungry, to other needs that are surrounding them in their ministry. 
I thought, what a, what a different way of worshiping. And is it possible that God says, you know, I, that's kinda, I kinda like that. Because I know for us, sometimes I feel like a, a stuffy old American where I don't want anybody to see how much I give. And sometimes I think, God, am I, am I cheating you out of what you have wanting me to cheerfully with hilarity and full expression, I don't care who sees it and who knows how much, because I'm just bringing it to you, because you are the one that counts. So I love this quote of Richard Foster. It says this, when we let go of money, we're letting go of part of ourselves and a part of our security. But this is precisely why it is important to do it. It is one way to obey Jesus' command, deny yourself. So when my giving is arranged in the practice that God calls, it's arranged beforehand. It's a bountiful gift of saying good words about God. It's, it's, there's no bad attitude behind it. I don't feel grudging or compulsed or, or covetous, but I bring it cheerfully to the Lord. God says, yeah, there we go. We're living in the sweet spot you've called me into. And for some of us, this is a review, but maybe for some of us, this is new. And we invite you into this world of first giving yourself to the Lord. Because when you do that, God loves to provide. God loves to bless us with stuff that we never thought we could otherwise have. Second Corinthians chapter 9, 8, then going through that text, we come to verse 8 where the apostle Paul says this, and God is able. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Notice the all and the every. It's not sort of partial, like hopeful. He says, man, I want to give you all sufficiency. I want you to have for every good deed. I want you to have sufficiency in everything. He says, I want to bless you. You know, uh, uh, we have two girls, and Jessica is one of my two favorite daughters. And uh, Jessica has shared with me the stories of her, you know, years as she's moved out of her home. And Jessica shared this one where she finally got a little tiny, dinky little thing up here in, on Glacelle in orange. And uh, she was a little short on her being able to make her monthly obligations of expenses. She didn't know where it would come from, so she said, God, please help me to have enough to pay for what I need to pay for. And then lo and behold, she got a check from a dear friend who that friend said, I heard that you just graduated from Pepperdine, so I thought I would send you a gift. That was a gift just enough, just enough. And then a little later on, she was fortunate enough before home prices escalated so much to actually buy a home. So she has a home here in Santa Ana. And one month came along where she was very short on the mortgage payment about $2,300 short from what she really needed because of other things that were going on. And she prayed, Lord, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay that. So she asked God for his favor. And lo and behold, Pepperdine University, where she earned two master's degrees, Pepperdine contacts her five years after her graduation. So she prays, Lord, I don't have enough for this month. Help me. Five years after that graduation, at that moment of that prayer, Pepperdine says, and sends her a letter, we have audited your uh, tuition account, and we realize that you made an overpayment of $2,300. Here's your $2,300. And she paid her bills. 
Now, for some of us, maybe that's chump change, but for some of us, it's significant. All I'm saying is that when God says, I am able, God is able, he says, why don't you, why don't you challenge me? Why don't you let me prove myself to you? And we got folks here that would love to support you. Ray Patera sent me an email this last week. He was, Ray was out of work for many months, but continued to give to the Lord and God continued to provide for them. And Ray has some wonderful ministries here of stewardship, helping you to manage your budget, helping you to plan your estates, helping you to be orderly in what God has called you to do and to, to be in terms of this whole realm of treasure. I encourage you to talk to Ray. He's been there, done that, knows what it's like to not have an income for months, and yet God still provided. So I encourage you to come. We invite you to be part of what God is doing in the greater landscape of Calvary Church and not just here on Sunday morning. But God is able. And finally, God's purpose for giving is an investment. It's to invest in this way. I love this little passage here at the end of, towards the end of 2 Corinthians. is now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And I love this little phrase, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Corinthian believers, Calvary Church believers, when you give, it's not just giving to something, it's investing into the harvest of righteousness. It's seeing lives being changed, come to salvation, discipled for Jesus Christ, living for the Lord. It's an investment in that. I'm going to invite Erin Holm to come on back up here. She, as you uh, met her earlier his, as well. And she's got a couple of stories I wanted you to hear about how the giving that is taking place here at Calvary Church is truly an investment of har in the harvest of righteousness. Erin, welcome. Yes, awesome. So uh, before I was working in missions and college ministry, um, I was doing high school ministry for about four and a half years here. And every summer we were able to go to Albania and partner with our sister church over there. And uh, this trip just started getting some traction and more and more students wanted to go, which was awesome. But uh, as you know, traveling um, and doing these types of trips tend to be expensive. And um, as students would come and want to go on these trips, I was like, if they're like, you know, if I feel like they're like, you know, able to go and um, serve this capacity, I'm like, I want them to go. And I feel like the Lord had a few students on a few trips who um, he really wanted to be on these teams, except uh, these students didn't have uh, particular people in their lives who they could send out letters to, where there's some students who um, have grown up here and have like hundreds of people to send letters to, to, to gain support. There's a few who had like five people they could potentially think of. And if you do the math, it doesn't really line up with the, uh, the cost of these trips. But I really believe that the Lord wanted these students to go. And I didn't want finances to be something to hold them back. And after praying about it and um, sending out some letters, some people at Calvary heard about it. And um, this happened two different years. And two different people said, hey, I'm willing to fill in the gap to pay the remainder of these two students' trips um, and I was blown away and shocked by their generosity. Um, and then again, this happened last year. Um, for college, we were heading to Lesbos, uh, Greece, and we had a significant amount of finances that we owed in order to go on this trip. And another person stepped in, hey, I feel like the Lord's calling me to give um, and fill in the gap with whatever is needed. And so out of all these trips we have been on, um, we have raised all of our money because of the people who stepped in and who are willing 
um, to give what the Lord um, has given them and to bless others. And not, it doesn't end there. Like these students' lives were changed in incredible ways and their, their worldview was expanded and they were able to even see the Lord in a new way. And so it was just such a blessing and I was just really taken aback by these three individuals' generosity. So it goes a long way um, and it does increase the harvest um, of the righteousness. So. All right, That's thank you, Aaron. Yep. Thanks for all your good work around here. We appreciate it. Um, yes, thank you. Let me wrap up with this. I hope that we can be people, maybe, you know, as I go through this, I realize there's a lot of us that are already doing this. And I say, praise God for you, that we have the priority, we have the practice, we have the provision from God, and we understand the purpose. And I say, let's continue to keep ourselves aligned and let God work through us. For others of us, maybe some of this is new information. Or maybe we used to, but we didn't do it anymore. The Corinthians, their problem was they started out really strong. They, they really believed in this stuff. They were zealous for it. But then they wavered. And that's why Paul wrote what he wrote. They were no longer contributing as they said that they would. So God invites us to be faithful, consistent over time. And I hope that it's the Spirit of God that works in each of us so that whether you're walking in CVS like I was and God says, Dave, come on, you're not where you need to be in terms of what you were just talking about or something else that God would work through each of us so that the ministry to the saints is never without because each of us have done our part. So I encourage us to be more than an audience through the generous giving as God has guided us and instructed us and as God provides for us. So let me pray. Help us, Father, as we look to you now for this day. And Father, for all these things we've talked about that come from your word, Lord, help us to never feel compulsed. Help us to never feel as though some angle of manipulation on this. God, I know that the area of finances can be very sensitive for a lot of us. But God, I pray that we would just be led by you and by the truth that you have given to us, that we would walk down that pathway of instruction that comes from you and not from any person in this room. So help us, Lord, empower us, provide for us, and Lord, all that you called us to do, that the harvest of righteousness would be ripe and rich because we are contributing in the way you've led us. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.